0: Well, you remember that it was a very common practice of our Savior to teach in parables. He did it so often that his own disciples asked him about it. And they said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he said, you have been given the opportunity to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but they have not. Matthew thirteen ten through 11, that's the net Bible. One of the stated reasons that why Solomon recorded his Proverbs and gave them to his son was, quote, for the understanding of Proverbs and parables, the sayings and the riddles of the wise. Proverbs one six. Son, I want you to be able to understand the Proverbs, the parables, the riddles of the wise. The Latin word parabola, is derived from the Greek parabolae, meaning to throw or to put by the side of or to place side by side. That word, parable, was used by Plato and Socrates to mean a comparative story, a fictitious analogy designed to reveal some deeper truth. The Old Testament arguably contains at least seven parables. Y'all wanna look at some of these? Eric, would you look up Second Samuel 12, 1 through 10? Jeff, 2 Samuel 14, 5 through 20, Grady, First Kings 20, 35 through 40, Rhonda, Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. Um, Mark, Ezekiel 17, 2 through 10. Pam, 19, 2 through 9. Frank, 19, 10 through 14. Ezekiel. If we get, if we get tired, we'll stop, but go ahead.
1: And the Lord sent Nathan to David, he came to him and said to him, There were two men in a, in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and grew it up with him, with his children, that used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup, and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock, or herd to prepare for the guest. Who had come to him, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel, I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me... And have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife.
0: So, did that parable have its intended effect? Yes. Clear on the next one.
2: And the king said to her, "What is your trouble?" She answered, "Alas, I am a widow; my husband is dead, and your servant had two sons, and they quarreled with one another in the field." There was no one to separate them, and one struck the other and killed him. Now the whole clan has risen against your servants, and they say, "Give up the man who struck his brother, that we may put him to death for the life of his brother whom he killed." And so they would destroy the hair the heir also. Thus they would quench my coal, and that is, sorry, my coal that is left and leave it to my husband, neither name nor remnant on the face of the earth. Then the king said to the woman. Go to your house, and I will give orders concerning you. And the woman of Tekoa said to the king, On me be the guilt, my lord, the king, and on my father's house. Let the king and his throne be guiltless. The king said, If anyone says anything to you, bring him to me. He shall never touch you again. Then she said, Please let the king invoke the Lord your God, that the avenger of blood kill no more, and my son not be destroyed. He said, As the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. Then the woman said, Please let your servant speak a word to my lord the king. He said, Speak. And the woman said, Why then have you planned such a thing against the people of God? For in giving this decision, the king convicts himself in as much as the king does not bring the, his vanished one home again. We must all die. We are like water still on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God will not take away life and he devises means so that the banished one will not remain an outcast. Now I have come to say this to my Lord, the king, because the people have made me afraid. And your servant thought, I will speak to the king. It may be that the king will perform the request of his servant. For the king will hear and deliver his servant from the hand of the man who would destroy me and my son together from the heritage of God. And your servant thought, the word of my Lord, the king, will set me at rest. For my Lord, the king, is like the angel of God to the good and evil. The Lord your God will be with you. Then the king answered the woman, Do not hide anything I ask you. And the woman said, Let my lord the king speak. The king said, Is the hand of Joab with you in all this? The woman answered and said, As surely as you live, my lord the king, one cannot turn to the right hand or to the left from anything that my lord the king has said. It was your servant Joab who commanded me. It was he who put all these words in the mouth of your servant. In order to change the course of things, your servant, and Joab, did this. But my Lord has wisdom, like the wisdom of the angel of God, to know all things that are on the earth.
0: Amen. Joab. Did the parable have its intended effect? Okay. Go. go ahead.
3: And a certain man of the sons of the prophets said to his fellow, at the command of the Lord strike me please but the man refused to strike him and he said to him because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord behold as soon as you have gone from me a lion shall strike you down and as soon as he had departed from him a lion met him and struck him down then he found another man and said strike me please and the man struck him struck him and wounded him So the prophet departed and waited for the king by the way, disguising himself with a bandage over his eyes. And as the king passed, he cried to the king and said, Your servant went out into the midst of the battle, and behold, a soldier turned and brought a man to me and said, Guard this man. If by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life, or else you shall pay a talent of silver. And as your servant was busy here and there, he was gone. The king of Israel said to him, So shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it.
0: Okay. Another parable. Isaiah 5, 1 through 7.
4: Let me sing for my beloved, my song, my love song concerning this vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and then of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard, What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make a
0: Yeah, this one is especially interesting because the prophet gives part of the interpretation and you remember that Jesus several times his disciples said, what, what did that mean? And he gave them the interpretation. Also, most theologians see Jesus echoing this parable or reusing this parable when he gives his parable of the vineyard. Mark? It was 17,
5: two through 10? Yes. Son of man, put forth a riddle, and speak a parable unto the house of Israel, and say thus, saith the Lord God, the great eagle with great wings, long wings, full of feathers, which had diverse colors, came unto Lebanon, and took the highest branch on the cedar. He cropped off the top of his young twigs, and carried it into the land of of traffic, and he set it in a city of merchants. He took also the seed of the land and planted it in a fruitful field, On it. placed it by great waters, and set it as a willow tree. And it grew and became a spreading vine of low stature, whose branches turned toward him, the roots thereof were under him. So it became a vine, and brought forth branches, and shot forth sprigs. There was also another great eagle with great wings and many feathers, and behold, this vine did bend her roots towards him, and shot forth her branches toward him, that he might water it by the furrows of her plantation. It was planted in a good soil by great waters, that it might bring forth branches, and that it might bear fruit, and that it might be a goodly vine. Say thou, thus saith the Lord God, shall it prosper? Shall not? Shall he not pull up the roots thereof, and cut off the fruit thereof, that it wither? It shall wither in all the leaves of her spring, even without a great power, or many people to Pluck it up by the roots thereof. Yea, behold, being planted, shall it prosper, shall it not utterly wither when the east wind touches, touches it, it, it. It shall wither in the furrows where it grew.
0: Does that sound anything familiar to anything else you all are familiar with? you think Jesus learned these parables growing up?
6: Pam? Moreover, take out a lamentation for the princes of Israel and say, What is thy mother? A lioness. She lay down among lions. She nourished her whelps among young lions. She brought up one of her whelps. It became a young lion and it learned to catch prey. It devoured men. The nations also heard of him. He was taken in their pit. And they brought him with chains into the land of Egypt. Now when she saw that she had waited, and her hope was lost, then she took another of the wolves and made him a young lion. And he went up and down among the lions. He became a young lion, and learned to catch prey, and devoured men. And he knew their desolate palaces, and he laid waste their cities. And the land was desolate, and the fullness thereof, by the noise of his roaring. Then the nations set against him on every side from the provinces, and spread their net over him. He was taken in their pit, and they put
0: him in a ward and chains and brought him to the king of Babylon. They brought him into holes, that his voice should no more be heard among the mountains of Israel. Lions. Frank uh, nineteen, ten through
7: fourteen. Ezekiel. Ezekiel nineteen through what?
0: chapter nineteen verses ten through fourteen.
7: Your mother was like a vine in your vineyard, planted by the waters. It was fruitful and full of branches because of the abundant water. And it had strong branches for the scepters of rulers. And its height was raised above thick branches and into the clouds so that it was seen in its height with the mass of its branches. But the vine was uprooted in wrath, and it was thrown down to the ground the east wind dried up its fruit. Its strong branch was broken off so that it withered. The fire consumed it. And now it transplanted in the wilderness in a dry and thirsty land. And the fire of... Sorry, and the fire has gone out from its branch. It has consumed the vine shoots and fruit so that it has in it no longer a strong branch as a scepter... To rule. This is a dirge
0: and has become a dirge. Yeah, I said Old Testament parables, seven at least, arguably, there are some others. Are they parables or fables? You remember this from Judges? Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. This is Jotham. The trees went out to anoint a king. And they said to the olive tree, Rain over us. you all remember this? But the olive tree said, Shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the fig tree, Come and rain over us. But the fig tree said, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit to go hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the vine, Come and rain over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I leave my wine that cheers God and man? And go whole sway over the trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, You come reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, If in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come, take refuge in my shade. But if not, let the fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. And then you remember, Abimelech becomes king. It's a parable. But the, the point the point of this is that when Jesus started using parables, this was nothing new. It was a it had a noble tradition in the history of Israel. In the ancient Greeks, in the Romans, the Stoic philosopher and Roman statesman, Lucius Aeneas Seneca, tutor to Caesar Nero. Eric, who is also reported to have corresponded with the Apostle Paul, having written eight times to Paul with six Pauline responses, these now only exist in manuscript from the 800s, but the church father, Tertullian, referred to these letters and refers to Seneca as, quote, often one of ours. If he wasn't a Christian, he was sympathetic. And not not oppressive. If you're interesting, you can read the letters online. They're brief. Um, Anyway, Seneca said, there may be great use made of parables for the way of application usually does more affect the mind than downright meaning. According to the Jewish encyclopedia, a large number of parables are found in the post-biblical literature, in the Talmud, in the Midrash, um, the Talmudic writers believed in the pedagogic or teaching importance of the parable and regarded it as a valuable means of determining the true sense of the law and, quote, obtaining a correct understanding thereof, unquote. So listen, there's a deep and a rich history of the use of parables to communicate deep truth at a practical level. Jesus... Our Savior, the Master, is the master parable maker. The best. Because the parables of Jesus are the parables of God. I want to briefly review two of his parables with you this afternoon. Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Look down to verses 44 through 46. The Savior said, The kingdom of heaven is likened to treasure hid in a field, which... When a man hath found he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and bought it. Two parables. Brothers and sisters, listen, have you realized the exceeding value of the kingdom of God? Considering these two parables of Jesus, the parable of the treasure hidden in a field and the parable of the pearl of great price, there are a couple of ways we could look at them. We could see them both as emphasizing the great value of the kingdom of God. I think they definitely do that. You see, when the man found the incredible treasure hidden in the field, he sold everything that he had in order to have enough to purchase the field. And he purchased the field so that he could have the treasure. And the treasure, he reasoned, was valuable beyond compare. It didn't matter if he had anything else at all, as long as he could have that treasure. And the pearl, the pearl that the merchant found was so incredibly valuable that when he found it, he stopped his seeking. He shut his business down. He sold it all just so he could have this one most valuable pearl. So listen, definitely the parables before us are lessons in value, economic value. They are, if you will, economic parables. Both parables seem to be about the ultimate prioritization of the kingdom of God and the urgency of attaining it. This is most important. It's urgent that you get it no matter what it costs. That's the idea. In both parables, when the searching man finds the hidden treasure and the merchant finds the pearl of great price, the discovery is life-altering. It changes everything. When he finds the treasure, when he finds the pearl, everything changes. The hidden treasure, the magnificent pearl, is so surpassing, so glorious, so excellent, that in the eye, in the mind of the searcher and the merchant, the discovered treasure is worth everything. And the discovered treasure is worth anything. Whatever, whatever, whatever it cost. So listen, it seems, it seems that what we value and the extent to which we make choices based on what we value is a key idea that we can see in these parables. It could be that Jesus is emphasizing the surpassing worth of entrance into the kingdom of heaven. That's a definite possibility, right? But could he also be emphasizing the cost of entrance to the kingdom of heaven? In both cases, in both parables, the treasure finder and the merchant, neither of them seems to require any convincing to understand the surpassing worth of the hidden treasure or the priceless pearl. Nobody's saying, don't you see it's a really good deal? You better get it now. Go and once. There's none of that. He's like, okay, I'm done. Let me go get my money. I'll be right back. The treasure finder, when he sees the treasure, he immediately understands its supreme value. And without deliberation, he sells everything. So he'll have enough to obtain the treasure. The merchant, as soon as he sees the pearl, requires no convincing. He wants it he wants it so maybe the point is not so much the priceless value of the treasure or the pearl maybe the point is that to get the treasure to get the pearl costs the finder and the merchant everything maybe that's the point now I said two I think I just gave you three options And brothers and sisters, listen. Sometimes it's extremely important that we determine with certainty the exact interpretation of the text of Scripture. I don't think that's really the case here. I think whatever you need, all three of those are there. Let me put it this way. Of all the things it might be possible for you and I, to know anything about entrance to the kingdom of heaven which will occur by our resurrection from the dead is by far the most valuable thing any of us could have. Do you believe that? What I'm saying is this. For you to know that you will indeed be resurrected out of death to live on a recreated earth, to dwell with God in righteousness in the kingdom of heaven, that is by far the most valuable thing you could have. Citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. Well, listen, if that's the ultimate meaning of Jesus' parable, then let's learn it. The value of entrance into the kingdom of heaven is worth whatever we have to pay for it. Whatever it might cost us. Listen, whatever it might cost us, it's worth it. But listen, if the ultimate meaning of Jesus' teaching here is that interest into the kingdom of heaven will cost us everything we have, if that's the, if that's the meaning, could you accept that meaning? C- could I accept it? Well, the teaching of Jesus is, is whatever it costs, is worth it. And brothers and sisters, And listen. I'll tell you this. For us to enter the kingdom of heaven, it might cost us, it might cost us everything. It, it might. But listen, if it does, it would still be a good deal. If it does, it would still be a good deal. If it does, it would still be the best deal you ever made. So, do you see? These parables point us with transcendental wisdom beyond the mundane to grace and union with God, the value of all values to the objective, eternal, intrinsic, supreme good. So while the parables are about the subjective and temporal, oh, it's a field. Oh, there's a little treasure chest out there buried in the field, hidden. Oh, he's a merchant. He's a pearl trader. Oh, he found a nice one. They're about the subjective and temporal, but they point us beyond those things to the objective and eternal, to union with Jesus, to union with God, to citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. But let me direct your attention to one more thing. Jesus said when the searcher found the hidden treasure, he, quote, for joy or in his joy or (laughs) because of joy, went and sold all that he had and bought the field. So listen, the the idea is this. Though it may have cost him everything, he recognized how good of a deal it was. And he was overcome with joy. He, he wasn't thinking, oh man, I'm gonna have to get I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to sell everything to get this. <laughs> I don't know. No, he's like, I
3: got it!
0: I found it. What I've been looking for all my life. I found it. Oh, this is it. He was thrilled for joy. He did it. Was it a sacrifice? Maybe. But it was a great deal. It was an economic home run. He paid for a field and he got a hidden treasure. He got much, much more than he paid for. And the result is joy. Rejoicing. Regarding the parable of the hidden treasure, the great reformer John Calvin said this, listen. The first of these two parables are intended to instruct believers to prefer the kingdom of heaven to the whole world and therefore to deny themselves and the desires of the flesh that nothing may prevent them from obtaining so valuable a possession. We are greatly in need of such warning for we are so captivated by the allurements of the world that eternal life fades from our view. And in consequence of our carnality, the spiritual graces of God are often far from being held by us in the estimation which they deserve. (laughs) Regarding the, the parable of the Pearl of Great Price, the church father, John Chrysostom, wrote this. Listen, the gospel preaching not only offers manifold gain as a treasure, but is precious as a pearl. Wherefore, after the parable concerning the treasure, he gives that concerning the pearl. And in preaching, two things are required, namely, to be detached from the business of this life and to be watchful, which are denoted by this merchant man. Truth, moreover, is one and not manifold. And for this reason, it is one pearl that is said to be found. And as one who is possessed of a pearl... Himself indeed knows of his wealth, but it is not known unto others, oftentimes concealing it in his hand because of its small bulk. So it is in the preaching of the gospel. Those who possess it know that they are rich. But unbelievers, not knowing of the treasure, know not of our wealth. Well, beloved, listen, How, how highly do we value? Jesus and his kingdom. What's our Savior worth to us? Listen. Anything. Everything. Whatever it costs. Discussion?
3: Step back and say, "Who's buying the merchant and the man?" The other idea of this is Jesus paid it all, and it's really about Jesus being the man and the merchant, going for His child. That I've heard that before, and I really get a lot of benefit out of it, thinking of that way as well. I think all the interpretations have benefit, but that one also lines up to me and glorifies God. For doing
0: the uh, paying, paying for our salvation. Mm-hmm. I, I don't feel like a pearl or a treasure sometimes, but I'm, I'm. So for God so loved the world. Right. Yeah. Christians ought to be joyful. You you know, I mean, we're winners. (laughs) You glittering toys of earth, I do. A nobler choice be mine. A real prize attracts my view, a treasure all divine. Be gone, unworthy of my cares, You specious baits of sense, inestimable worth appears, the pearl of price immense. Jesus, to multitudes unknown, O name divinely sweet, Jesus in thee, in thee alone, wealth, honor, pleasure meet. Should both the indies at my call, their boasted stores resign, with joy I would renounce them all for leave to call thee mine. Should earth's vain treasures all depart of this dear gift possessed, I'd clasp it to my joyful heart and be forever blessed. Dear sovereign of my soul's desires, thy love is bliss divine. Accept the wish that love inspires and bid me call thee mine. Now, 90% of the time when I read you appointments from Isaac Watts, and if you know, when Spurgeon was a youth, his grandmother would give him, like whatever it was in, in the U.K., a nickel for every one of Dr. Watt's poems that he learned. And he soon just about broke her. And so she changed his wage to a penny. And so you will find, if you read Spurgeon's sermons, and you should, that he quotes Watt's just constantly. So 90% of the time when I read you appointments from Dr. Isaac Watts, but this is by Anne Steele, A N N E S T E E L, a Christian sister born in 1716 and the daughter of Mr. William Steele, a timber merchant and particular Baptist minister, comma, without salary, comma, of the Baptist church at Broughton, Hampshire, in the south of England and steal. Well, oh, Brother Weber, would you dismiss us, please, sir?
8: Father, we're grateful for the life that you give us from the universe. Help us to remember, day by day, that the great value of the process of our salvation. As we think about it, I'm blessed to go out into the world of joy and, uh, live in such a way that people would see <clears throat> not only the light in our lives, but also the joy that we have because the great gift that we can get in. that in and of itself will, will draw people into you within, where we go Name will be lifted up and again will be drawn to you. your name and your goodness. You. Help us, Lord, this week to get living testaments for your kingdom. Help us to be shining examples.